From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode number 63. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Igloo, an internet you'll actually like, Warby Parker, because glasses should not cost as much as an iPhone, and Braintree, code for easy online payments. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Federico Vitici. Hello, Mike. How are you, Federico? I'm doing great. How are you with the, with the cold medicines? I saw the picture on Yeah, uh, I hope I'm going to be okay. So like yesterday I was doing the pen addict and if I spoke for more than 20 seconds, I nearly ran out of oxygen. So I'm <laughs> wow. hoping today that won't be the case. <laughs> and Mr. Stephen Hackett, hello, sir. How are you? I'm good, Mike. Uh, I'm glad that you're with us today. So we were together last week. Do you think you might come down with this plague that I have? I'm about... 36 hours behind you. Excellent. I felt bad last night. I feel worse today. So we'll see. Look forward to that. Yes, oh, yeah. That's cough medicine. Oh. Are you mm-hmm. just taking a swig of it? No, I was shaking the box. You're just keeping a, a glass of medicine next to you as you speak. Well, I took it about 10 minutes before we started. It is non-drowsy, which is good. I, I made sure to, to ensure that I wasn't going to get drowsy medicine because then I might just fall asleep during the show and... That that doesn't seem like it would be a very good thing to do. Mm-hmm. I've made that mistake before, taking drowsy accidentally, and it will uh, it'll ruin your your plans for the day <laughs> for sure. <laughs> one of one of the one of the changes that I noticed in my in my lifestyle uh, after uh, I went through treatments and all that kind of stuff. Uh, basically, I don't care about medicines anymore. Before, I used to be extremely careful in taking medicines. You know, maybe I should avoid taking this, you know, cold medicine. Maybe I should, you know, it's bad for the stomach. Now, I just don't care. As soon as I see the symptoms, I'm like, okay, I'm going to take everything because I took (laughs) far worse. And what's a cold medicine going to do to me? I mean, my stomach, it's, you know, I wouldn't say it's gone, but, you know, it's gone through a lot of stuff. So whatever. As soon as I see the symptoms, I'm like, nope, I'm going to take everything that in my in my emergency closet <laughs> i'm just gonna take the pills i'm gonna take everything i don't care and it works you know i haven't had one of those high fevers in a long time but i don't recommend you know this kind of solution i think this is the first time that i've been concerned about losing my voice in in the last few years um which is making me think that i should look into vocal exercises you gotta put a, a an insurance on your throat, Mike. I, I had once considered that, but that seems a bit too diva-ish, you know. It's like like a football player insuring his leg or something. I'm not gonna do that. Yes. And anyway, so, Stephen, we were at release notes, and whilst at release notes, you received an incredible gift. I did. So uh, our friend Greg, who runs uh, the Agile Tortoise software shop, uh, you know Greg from apps like Drafts, uh, gave me a Newton 120. So. He found me in the hallway and was like, hey, I have something for you. Uh, make sure you get it for me. And then uh, you have a picture of us. Uh, Greg's a very j- big man. I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm six feet tall, but Greg is uh, enormous. So I look like a child <laughs> next to him uh, holding, uh, holding my new Newton message pad 120. So uh, a Newton has entered my collection now for the first time in a long time. So are you going to be working from the Newton, Stephen? So I had a uh, Newton 2000 in college, and I did use it in class. I had a little case and the keyboard, uh, and it was like you and your fancy iPad Pro just from the past. Um, but yeah, I used it in school for notes. I had it syncing with my 
uh, I guess my PowerBook G4 at the time, and so I had my contacts and calendars on it. I had email on it. I got uh, .Mac uh, email working on it, and uh, it was on the school wireless, and it was pretty awesome. But then I needed some cash to pay off my wife's engagement ring, so I sold it, and I've not had one since. So uh, Greg has um, has uh, reignited my my love of the Newton, and uh, we'll see we'll see where that leads me. But uh, my my thanks to Greg and everyone. People were like coming up to me, like wanting to see it and stuff. Um, and this came up uh, because uh, last week um, I finally got around to posting my collections. There's a link in the show notes to a, a GitHub page where I keep uh, an inventory of my collection, and the Newton has been. Uh, added to that list as of the other night so my thanks to greg for uh, edging me on in my collection collecting of things what are you gonna do with all this stuff Uh, more importantly (laughs) steven at which point do you become a hoarder of stuff i think it's past that point now i think i think hoarding i think the difference between collecting and hoarding and please email Anyone but me about this, what I'm going to say. Um, send Casey Liss all of my email. The I am... Dis, I am um, there is a level of discrimination about what goes into the collection. So, like, someone at least was like, hey, I've got this old power book. And I was like, well, it's not, like... I'm not really looking for that. Like, there are certain things that I would like to have based on importance to me or importance historically. So... You know, like there's a lot of like performers that no one cares about. I don't care about. I'm not interested in owning any of them. I think a hoarder would be like, yes, bring all of the beige max to me. But I am trying to to build something that is um, uh, an interesting look at at Apple's history and the history of personal computing, not any random thing I can get my hand on. Um, now there are things in this list that aren't that don't really meet either of those um, that I have maybe just because I like them. Uh, I'm not just scooping up anything that comes my way. I'm I'm trying mm-hmm. to be uh, deliberate about what I add. So as far as what I'm going to do with them, I, I can't answer that question yet, Mike, because I don't know. Stephen Hackett, the first and foremost Apple curator in Memphis, Tennessee. It's true. Definitely the biggest here. Uh, I would imagine, I know a lot of people who collect Apple stuff. And I mean, there's... I'm towards the head of that list at this point, I think. Uh, I mean, there are people with more rare stuff than me, but, um, you know, not too many people do this. So what can you say? What else did you get? <laughs> you got something else, didn't you? This <laughs> <laughs> just goes on and on. <laughs> I also added an iPod Hi-Fi uh, to the mix. What is an iPod Hi-Fi? <laughs> do you not remember uh, the iPod Hi-Fi? I was probably too young to remember. No, right. we'll put a wiki. We'll put a Wikipedia link in the show oh, notes. This is like a jam box. Do you not remember this, Federica? No, not at all. This was the thing where Steve Jobs got on stage and said that he was replacing all of his audiophile equipment. No, you, no, no, yeah. I don't remember this. Oh, and it came know. out. It came uh, at an event with socks and leather cases for the iPod. That's right. Very oh, expensive like, leather cases. Uh huh. Like ninety dollars or something. Yeah, really? It so it's like Evernote. They were selling socks and leather yeah. stuff. This was like the Evernote announcement equivalent, I think. <laughs> because the main I thing know. the main thing of the announcement was the uh, iPod Hi-Fi. Like they set up these rooms 
Um, so they in the demo area, they set up like a student's bedroom and stuff like that, like so you could see them in the natural habitat. It was crazy. So yeah, so it's uh, it was designed to use an iPod with a thirty pin dock connector, but it used the FireWire power source, and they basically released this, and then like six months later, they revved the iPod and ditched the FireWire charging, so <laughs> newer iPods wouldn't charge on it. But it has an aux in on it. And uh, Jason Snell has one of these on his desk as well. And it still sounds really good. Uh, I've got it hooked up at home. I need to rearrange my desk if I'm going to keep it there. But it's uh, it's a really nice, like it's a nice sounding speaker. It looks good. Uh, it is shockingly heavy, especially if you put batteries in it. You could put like six, I think it's six, like C or D size batteries in it and like use it out in the yard or whatever. But um, it's uh it has entered the fold as well and it is uh it's it's nice I, I want to use it I got to find a place for it if it's not my desk uh, somewhere in the house to listen to music on it because it really does sound good for for its age and what I paid for it. I love that you can put batteries in it like a like and walk around of it like a boombox. You could walk around yeah. the streets of Memphis with this on your shoulder. Yeah, I and I do have I do have I think at least one iPod that it will work with. So I could definitely just um Of course you do. I could just uh, replace the sound system in my car with this and just have an, have it like uh, strapped in in the passenger seat. You could take it down to like the strip mall and do break dancing or something in front of the Apple Store. You I know? think that I think they would really like that. Yeah, it's like look at this, guys! iPod Hi-Fi. It seems like something Feder- Federico could own. With I'm just music. looking at the picture and I'm amazed by this idea of a. It was an, an Apple accessory, right? It's like a thing made by Apple. It's not like a third-party collaboration or something. It's just right, made they by built Apple. it. Yeah, in the oh. keynote, I, which I haven't seen in a long time, but I think he like goes into detail about how they like crafted the speaker chambers and like oh, of course the type of <laughs> resin they used to seal it, like I mean, all sorts of crazy stuff. No, first time I actually, I mean, I, I I guess I heard about this name. I just never paid attention. I, I thought it was a, like a, um, a version of the iPod, not necessarily like a speaker. So yeah. nice, nice. I had no idea, Steven. Glad I could help educate you. <laughs> yeah, sure. How are you, Steven? How are you feeling about your uh, your keyboard still? Are you still using it? Because I, I received one, right? I've got my new iMac here. Right. And I do not like it. I really, really do not like it. I, I do like it. Uh, I'm liking it. More and more, I reviewed it like four after four or five days, but uh, I'm still still enjoying it. I of course at release notes just had my MacBook Pro, and the keyboard on that machine is more like the old Bluetooth keyboard than the new Magic keyboard. Um, and I, I was typing on the MacBook Pro, and I was like, I wish this was a little firmer. So it's already sort mm. of taken over in my brain that this is the way Apple's keyboard should be, and not that what's on my laptop. Uh, but I'm really still, I'm still real happy with it. So. The only thing I still am just struggling with is the arrow keys being different because that's really done by feel for me. And I still kind of, if I'm like navigating around a spreadsheet or something, I will still kind of take a second to remember that the keys are split differently, the arrow keys. But besides that, uh, I'm still um, got both thumbs up for this thing. Uh, when I when I was I've used it a little bit and it just feels like the tr- I really feel the, the the lack of travel in the keys and I don't like it. I'm just not a big fan of it. Like it feels to me like every other keyboard I have feels superior because of that. And I don't know if that's just something that's like it's built into my brain, but I'm just not. I'm just not on board of it. Yeah, and and, and too, you've been using the Microsoft Sculpt for a while too, so you're yeah. 
it, you know, you're, I think if you were coming from the Bluetooth keyboard to this, it might be a little bit different. That's but the sculpt point. is so yeah. is so different than. I could definitely see how you would feel that way. Yeah, I um, used it for a minute. And I was like, nope, and I just, yeah. just bailed on it. Yeah, so I, it's probably something to do with the sculpt. Yeah, how is the iMac? I love it. I need, I, I definitely need more time with it, like to to really understand the speed of it and stuff. But it's a monster, and it's my monster, and I'm very, very happy with it. So hmm. yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I'm enjoying it a lot. I love the screen. Uh, it's super powerful. It's 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 just everything I wanted. And I'm looking at this old Mac Pro, and I'm like, "See you later, buddy." It's nice yeah. having you. And are you using either the the mouse or trackpad with it? Um, I'm not really. I mean, I have the Magic Trackpad on the desk, but it's nothing to do with the devices. I'm just battling a bunch of RSI problems at the moment, so I'm uh, kind of switching it up a lot, and I'm using the Wacom tablet basically constantly for all of my navigation right now because my right hand is the problem. I'm left-handed, so I can use the pen tablet in my left hand. Um, and I've used the, the trackpad a little bit, um, and I like that, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of how I can go back to a mouse, but I'm still working on that. Yeah, but I mean, with that RSI stuff, you just got to do what you got to do. I mean, yeah. Um... We we did want to mention the the home app that Federico and I, Federico and I spoke about last week. It was in the show notes, but it was a late edition, so some people's podcast clients didn't find it. So we're going to put it in the show notes again this week. Turns out, naming an app home makes it difficult to find in the app store. But yeah. uh, we've got we've got a link to it, and uh, we'll make sure that that you can find that this week. I've been playing with it, Federico, and I um I mean even though like we spoke about my home kit is set up is simpler than yours. It's a nice app, and it's. I feel like it's sort of what almost what Apple sort of shipped, yeah. but um, <laughs> it's a uh, it's a nice uh, it's a nice addition. I think if you're doing a lot of HomeKit stuff, you should definitely check out this app. It's it's worth the price uh, for sure. If I yeah. could follow up on last week's episode, because obviously I, I listened to it, um, HomeKit sounds like a bit of a disaster. Yep. <laughs> well, because this is the type of stuff that like so when it works, it seems like it works great, but this is stuff that you need to work 100 percent of the time. Right, if I'm going to yeah. trust my iPhone to unlock my door, right, that needs to work. Or if I'm going to trust my iPhone to turn my lights on, like all of those things I want to happen. I don't want them to be like, maybe they'll work sometimes. I'm not interested in that. Well, yeah, you don't want to be stuck in the dark yelling commands at Siri to turn on your lights. You exactly. Know? Like, that's <laughs> silly. Um, guys, I, I have some follow-up for you, speaking of HomeKit and the Apple TV. And um, so you guys may remember that I complained about the Apple TV uh, not working for remote access for me. Mm -hmm. And I got some feedback from some listeners telling me to reboot my Apple TV or to um, sign out from my iCloud account and sign back in. I just didn't want to try that. I was really disappointed. So the other day, two days ago, I was at a a birthday party uh, with some friends and we were... So my friends here in Rome, they they usually, we go to this park, uh, like after dinner at midnight and like we, we, we bring a cake, we bring some, you know, some beers, some, some cocktails and we drink in this park uh-huh. and it, it's a very, it's a very, I realize it's a very teenager-y thing yeah. to do. <laughs> that's what... like a, like a little teenage job or something. Yeah. It's, it's basically that, um, <laughs> 
And you know, so so this is uh, Sylvia's um, hip hop group. So mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. these guys, they they bring a stereo, they put on some music. It's you, should, kinda... you should get an iPod Hi-Fi for them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, so we were we were there. We were celebrating my friend, and so my, 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 uh, some of my friends started drinking, and one of them started drinking uh, quite heavily. And at one point, he was beyond the, the tipsy level of drinking. And we start talking about the Apple TV. And I, Obviously. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm, I was okay. I wasn't drinking uh, because I needed to drive. And um, so these guys start saying, yeah, I, uh, what's the Apple TV? And I, and I start explaining what the Apple TV is. And basically, I, I ended up selling my Apple TV to this drunk person. <laughs> And I, I had this guy, this guy come over at my house at 2 a.m. And I, I gave him my Apple TV uh, for like 50 euros. And I just, because I just don't care. I'm like, look, uh, I, I bought this Apple TV last week. I don't use it. I don't want to put it up on eBay because I don't have the time or patience. Uh, I don't want to, I don't, you know, I just don't need it. I'm going to buy the new one to go on my Apple TV. And he was all excited by the, uh, apparently he was really into the idea of streaming YouTube videos to his TV with an Apple TV. So I wouldn't say that I took advantage of this person because the following day he texted me back asking for instructions and kind of like tips and tricks. So maybe, uh, you know, in the moment he was kind of more excited than normal to get an Apple TV, but he stuck with this decision. So I'm no longer an owner of an Apple TV third generation and I'm waiting for the next one. I just thought you guys might like my story. Well, at least now I know the best way to get rid of my Mac Pro. Oh, yeah. Just go to go to a park. Yeah, that's all it takes. Uh, go to go to a park. Get people to drink and start talking about your Apple accessories. You're gonna find someone who is interested in one of those. You know. On that note, let's take our first break for this week's episode, and we want to thank Braintree for supporting today's show. Code for easy online payments. If you're a mobile app developer, you should be checking out Braintree. Braintree is the payment solution that was used by so many companies. Companies like Uber, Airbnb, Hotel Tonight, Living Social, and Montreal. Big, big players. And and they use Braintree because they have made the payment experiences completely seamless and magical. And now you can add a similar experience to your own app too. Braintree has excellent customer service and really simple integrations. Braintree can really help you get ready to receive the payments that you need quickly. Braintree's continuous support plus fast payouts means that you'll be prepared as your company grows from your first dollar to your billionth. Braintree is also helping solve the problem of mobile cart abandonment. So this is when like people put stuff in the shopping cart and then just leave it uh, by offering a best-in-class mobile checkout experience. And they make payment experiences in some of your favorite apps seamless and magical. Now you can add a similar experience to your own app too. With Braintree, you'll get a full-stack payment solution with support for all types of payment and everything that your customers may want, like PayPal, Apple Pay, Bitcoin, Venmo, cards, and more. With just a single integration, you'll get access to all of these different payment types. Braintree is with you across all platforms, and with superior fraud protection and their fantastic customer service and fast payouts, you'll be super happy to know that you have Braintree on your side. If you want to find out more, then you need to go to braintreepayments.com slash connected and you'll get your first $50,000 in transactions fee free. That's braintreepayments.com slash connected. Thank you so much to Braintree for their support of today's episode. 
So the Apple TV went for pre-order uh, as we record this yesterday morning. Um, sort of, <laughs> let's see what you guys feel about this. It sort of just happened, right? Like I was just kind of on Twitter in a waiting room and all of a sudden people were like, oh, the Apple TV's for sale now. Like there was no, Apple didn't pre-announce a time. Like the people on Twitter were like, what time is it going to be? They're just like, it's here and you can order it. And uh, so I did. And I believe that uh, Federico, you did as well. Um, yeah. What about you, Mike? Um, because you and I, I were going back and forth on this, right? I didn't want one. I don't want one, right? Like I don't want one at mm-hmm. all. But I understand you, Mike. Very but much. <laughs> I feel like I just had to get one because otherwise, I'm just going to be the person on the show going like, I don't know, what does the Apple TV do? <laughs> so, like, I spent the money on one because I felt like I needed one so I could be sound smart like a smart person rather than dumb like a dumb person on the shows. So I bought one, and I don't. I still don't want one. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the single reason why you bought one is peer pressure. Yeah, actually, that is that is correct. Because I had people texting me and stuff and saying, "You should just get one. Come on, you should get one. You need one." Yeah, and I really don't. Just I really buy don't another one. accessory. <laughs> uh, I got one. I'm not sure what I'm gonna do with it. Uh, the, like, uh, I guess I'm gonna play games on my Apple TV because we don't watch. You know the. American cable stuff, of course, in Italy. Uh, we don't buy our movies and TV shows on iTunes. Uh, there's going to be apps, so maybe I will find a use case for my Apple TV. I just don't imagine myself looking at my TV all day, like actively using apps on my TV. I can see games, so I guess we'll see what kind of games are going to come out on the App Store for the Apple TV. That's the only reason I can think of i i don't know how i'm, I'm gonna use it but like mike i bought one because you know i didn't want to miss out on, on on all the craziness and then and then it was like what one do you want to buy and it's like 32 gigabytes or 64 right and it's like i don't even know why i need one or the other like i it just doesn't make sense to me like why i don't even know why there's a storage size difference because there's no idea of knowing which one is the right one for me do, do you see what i mean like i'm just looking at it and i'm like I, do, I don't know why i'd want 32 or 64 because i'm not going to be putting any videos on it i would assume like it's all going to stream like how big are the apps going to be i don't know what did you guys get i went with 32 just because i didn't want one anyway so i wasn't going to pay for the 64 <laughs> me too <laughs> i just got the base model i'm like what's the cheapest option for me so I can buy an Apple TV and forget about it? And I got the the 32 gig model because I, I, uh, again, based on my only assumption that the way that I'm going to use this is for games and knowing myself, I play a game on iOS and when I'm done with the game, I delete the game. I don't care about, you know, keeping the game installed. I guess that, you know, 32 gigs will be okay for me uh, in terms of storage. What did you do, Steven? I opted for the the bigger of the two. Oh. Uh, but like, and like we've been talking about, like Apple TV is television in our house, and while mm. I don't see us playing a ton of games, I did not order a game controller, which I want to ask you guys in a second if you did. Uh, I was like, you know what? We plan on keeping this thing for a long time. We've had our old Apple TV a long time, and I don't want to you know, run into issues, especially if my, you know, the kids are going to be using it, and all of a sudden it's like, I need storage space. They're not going to know what to do, and it wasn't that much more, so I decided to just go ahead and opt for the the bigger of the two. You know, it's not like, to your point, 
um, guys about the streaming bit. Like it's not like it used to be where the first Apple TV you sync stuff over, like it was basically an iPod plugged into your television. I mean, this thing is designed to stream, and I really think the only thing it's going to be storing locally is uh, game assets. And of course, they're doing. Um, there's a link in the show notes to Polygon. They're doing the app sizing and the slicing mm-hmm. and stuff to pull down assets on demand. And imagine if you game a lot, you'll use more of that disc. But uh, my thought was it's not that much more, and I don't want to have any issues with it, so I opted for the the bigger of the two sizes. But I did not order a game controller. Uh, what about you guys? Did you even look at them? No. <laughs> uh, I looked at them just because somebody tweeted to them, and it was funny. I clicked the page and got a 404. But uh, I, I just looked at it, like not with any intention to buy one mm-hmm. um, because I'm kind of not I'm not that... Yeah. interested in it like because i want to see how it how it goes right like i want to see if there are games that require that like a good controller because in theory you know they're saying that every app has to use the standard remote so you'd like to think that all games will be okay to play irrespective of what controller you're using um, and it, and you know, I, I want to see if there's any games that come out that are even worth a full controller for. Because like, if everything's like Crossy Road, then it's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's well. I'd like to think it's not going to be like that. It seems like there are developers that are doing more stuff with it. But I want to see what kind of the offering is like before I decide to drop the money on that. Because those things are nearly as expensive as the Apple TV itself. Yeah, I mean, right now there are only two controllers for selling Apple's website. There's the Steel Series Nimbus wireless gaming controller, which is fifty bucks, and then they have a Guitar Hero guitar for a hundred. Um, so still less expensive than the the seventy nine dollar replacement Apple TV remote, which is just insane to me. But definitely pricey if you're, you know, like you said, if the the remote is the common denominator, then like. I kind of agree with you. Like, I don't really see a world in which the gaming controller offers like a vastly better experience because Apple's put that limitation in place. If that limitation, if that limitation wasn't there, if they said, "Well, yeah, if you want to target games, we have game controllers," then I think developers would have more freedom to sort of go crazy with it. But um, I just don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, it is interesting too that they're offering a Wii-style uh, remote loop. So yeah. if you are chunking it around, you just chunk it into your TV or into your spouse's head, and that's uh, $13 on Apple's website. Which is, you know, 13 Anyway, I'm I'm interested maybe in the Guitar Hero controller. Yeah. Right, yeah. because I, I need to pick a platform for Guitar Hero if I want to play the new Guitar Hero. And it might be kind of cool on the on the Apple TV. Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm really struggling. Like, I'm looking on the UK website, and I cannot find the... Where this stuff goes, like where is the stuff? Where are the controllers? Nah, I wish the store would come back. There's one point that I want to make about the the software aspect uh, of the app slicing and the on-demand resources. So I was reading through, and I even linked to it to this Polygon article. Uh, there's great explanation of how game developers will have to adjust to these new um, storage features on the Apple TV. And one question that keeps coming back to me is, so the majority of games on iOS uh, are the kind of arcade games uh, where it's a bunch of levels and you you either collect points or stars and 
you proceed through these levels, but you can always go back and redo a previous stage if you want to get a higher score or collect all the stars and, you know, all the other collectible items, that kind of stuff. And with these tvOS software features, developers can tag specific assets or levels of a game and say, okay, now you need to download this, and maybe this level is no longer a priority, so you can remove that from local storage, and you can download some other things. Um, so what Apple is doing here, to me, it seems that it makes sense for story, story-driven story games where you proceed in the story and you no longer see a previous stage or area or characters in the game. So like, uh, like a, something like an Uncharted game, or something like an RPG where you go from like initial stages and areas and then you proceed through the story and you don't see those places anymore so you can remove them from storage. But because the majority of iOS games, something like, I don't know, Angry Birds or, you know, um, I'm just thinking of all these other games where it's a bunch of worlds and levels and you can always go back. So what happens if, like, I'm playing a game on my Apple TV and I assume that, at least for now, the majority of Apple TV games will be modeled after iOS games. What happens if I want to go back to World 2 and I want to play Level 10 and for some reason it's no longer available? I need to sit back and wait for the level to download? That's what makes me skeptical of developers actually adopting these technologies. Like, I don't know. I'm just... I guess it makes sense for, again, for games with a story where you don't see initial stages or tutorials anymore. But for arcade games organized in levels and based on high scores and points, I just struggle to see how it's going to work in practice. I think the bigger issue, because, I mean, the level-based games, you can assume that the majority of people aren't going back and playing... Uh, like I mean, there are obviously there will be people that do it, and when you do that, you just have to wait, right? If you want to go back mm-hmm. and play World Two Level Ten, you'll just have to wait for the you have to wait for it to download. I think the bigger problem is in like open world or bigger games. Like, how yeah. could they come to the Apple TV? Like something like a Grand Theft Auto, um, because you you've got to be able like that would have to be some really really impressive um, content delivery. Like to be able to load the specific part of the world that you need to be in at a certain period of time, that's that type of game feels like it's kind of walled off from being able to do this. Although it does say that it can kind of download two gigabytes of levels, right? Like so, maybe you could just tag the game map as two gigabytes and it downloads that. I'm sure that there'll be developers that work their way around it, um, but it does seem to pose some some just some some difficult uh, not difficult different design decisions. Yeah. Um, on in the minds of developers as to how they're going to be able to effectively implement these changes. You also get an additional 20 gigs of storage in iCloud, so maybe, I don't know, 22 gigs in total will be okay for game developers who want to do that kind of uh, game on, on Apple TV. I don't know. It's just a different, and the Polygon article does a great job at explaining this, just a different way of um, structuring a game for a TV yeah, I really don't know what kind of a game experiences we'll see on the on the TVOS App Store. I just, I you know, the demo from the Apple event was not a good one, uh, so we'll see. I have no idea what to expect. So something interesting while we're talking about apps, um, a friend of mine who is going through um, that review right now 
uh, who has been going around and around through App Review, has kind of anecdotally said to me that it feels like that Apple's App Review for the tvOS is kind of like original iPhone levels of picky about human interface stuff, like way harsher than the watch, for example. So it's and and this is. Uh, been punctuated by other people like for example Daniel Jalcott got his app rejected for not being useful enough and he was building a white noise app for the Apple TV so it's interesting to me if they are being and it does seem like you know from stuff that we're seeing that Apple are being quite particular with the type of stuff that they're letting on the TV and it makes me wonder how are they viewing this platform like are they viewing it like it's a very very important platform are they trying to curate more heavily like why are they doing this uh, I mean, I, th- I think that the a lot of it has to do with the interface being so new and Apple really pushing it as a new platform that they want only the best experiences. If someone, if the future of apps is television, the first couple apps you download for your television are cruddy, that, that doesn't really set off in the right direction. It doesn't put their best foot forward. And so I think Apple would rather be hard on developers and designers and saying, hey, you know, you really need to fit into our vision of what this thing is, then flood the app store on day one and have a bunch of garbage in there. Yeah, it's... I mean, because they didn't seem to be this way with the watch, though. Yeah, exactly. So is the Apple TV more important than the watch? It, you know, it may be that because watch apps were bundled inside iPhone apps that they felt they felt less uh, yeah. free to, to knock people around over it. Well, the Apple TV apps Ooh. are sort of the separate new thing. Uh, but I think they should have been uh, harder on on watch apps. But at the same time, like the, all all of watch app conversation has to be filtered through the fact that Gen One watch apps were inherently crippled by Apple's technology, and so maybe they knew that hey, you know, uh, all this stuff we got to do and talk back and forth with the iPhone, like we got to give developers a lot of a lot of. Uh, leeway here because we didn't give them very good tools and they're kind of doing yeah, the best exactly. they can. Yeah. Like you don't have a right to be picky because, you know, the, the, the software framework that you gave us, it's kind of, you know, it's really not, not a good one. I understand that, that argument. I think it's the one that makes the most sense in my mind. Uh, whereas with the TV app store, it's a new thing. It's separate apps. Uh, it's not dependent on an iPhone. So they they think they can be picky and to really choose the kind of apps that they want to showcase, at least right now. I really don't know what to think. Again, uh, no idea. I know that th- th- there's a bunch of... I'm getting emails uh, this week about all these new Apple TV apps coming. And... It's all over the place, you know, and there's like there's apps for uh, to set your TV with a particular ambient music or like there's some iPhone and iPad apps that are getting Apple TV versions. And I'm like, why are you making an Apple TV version of this? It doesn't make any sense when, when it's on your iPhone and iPad and even the Mac. Why does it need to be on the television? So at least judging from my email inbox, it seems that there's at least from, you know, it's a very limited pool of data. Uh, but it's the same story with the, with, the, with the iPad, with the watch, with the Apple TV. There are some apps that will make sense on the TV. Some other apps are just conversions from existing platforms that don't necessarily make sense on a TV. 
which is, Apple wants it to be a new, a whole new platform, a whole new ecosystem. And I don't think that, you know, making the utility that makes sense on the iPhone to bring it to the, to the TV, I don't think it makes sense. Uh, well, I guess we'll see. Um, I, I don't know. My girlfriend is making fun of me for buying another Apple TV. <laughs> it just does seem a bit crazy because you just bought one. Considering the experience of buying a, an old Apple TV and selling it to a drunk person, uh, but maybe this one will be better, you know? Hey, maybe it'll, it'll actually work with HomeKit. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm intrigued about it, but I'm not excited about it. So, like, yeah. it should arrive before next week and... I'm interested to see what type of stuff is going to be on the platform just so I can, you know, as usual, see what have developers envisioned as being an Apple TV app. Um, Like I saw, uh, like Daniel Pasco of uh, Black Pixel tweeted about NetNewsWire today. And it just Mm. is a nice looking RSS reader for the TV, which is an interesting use case, right? You get your news in the morning or something by looking at, what comes up on the on the screen um but it's just i'm just i just don't know if this is a platform that i would use very much i i I haven't really got a sense for that yet and i don't know if that's just me because there seems to be a lot of people that are really excited about this so i think it's just my own use case i think it's because we don't have kids mike (laughs) you know i think that is a big part of it so we should we should we should have kids to enjoy the Apple TV. Yeah, that's that's to ensure you get the entire experience. That's a step yeah. way past buying an Apple TV so you can talk about it on a podcast. Having a child so you can <laughs> test Apple products for a podcast. That's commitment. <laughs> Your life decisions, but that doesn't seem like a great reason to become a parent. I don't know. What do I know? Uh I don't know. Like I'm I, Micah, I I agree with you that there's some apps like out there that, or you know, that we've heard about, or people are talking about that I don't see myself using. But at the same time, like I think, anytime there's a new platform, especially one that's so radically different, like I think there's a lot of opportunity for some exciting stuff we haven't seen elsewhere. Like uh, things like uh, status. What's the status board app from Panic? Um, it's whatever called it's called. Status status board, isn't it? Is it just called status <laughs> like, board? That's, that's um, yes. my app is named app uh you know things you know things like that like the apple tv is great like in the living room but there are a lot of them used in businesses and in schools and stuff for just having a way to get content onto a display and so for that sort of use case i think there's a lot of interesting things that developers could do turning the apple tv plus a television into some sort of uh, smart display that can do could do more Mm. I uh, probably not going to stand for my TV with remote and read my hundreds of RSS subscriptions, but I do think there's an interesting market for integrating the TV more into like everyday life because I think us, like the three of us, like a lot of nerds, like we don't like the TV is just not a big part of my life. Like it's definitely not a big part of like my work life. Like we'll sit down and watch a movie or something, but uh, at no point am I standing in front of my television like for work or integrating that into my workflow. And and maybe there's an opportunity there for the Apple TV to make the television itself smarter and more useful in work environments. And, and from that angle, I think the Apple TV is pretty exciting as far as, uh, as a platform goes. Here's, a, here's another potential problem for me and why I, maybe I don't see the Apple TV as that exciting. The TV that I'll be plugging the Apple TV in is on the same desk as my iMac. Huh. Yeah. 
So like at that point, it's like, hmm, you know, like that smart inf- that smart stuff. Like I could probably just access most of it on on my Mac. So that might be part part of my problem here. You must have a big desk. It's Mike. a very big desk. Ah, oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, but but you know, I mean, that's like that's you. But I mean, I think a lot of people. I know. I'm saying that's like know. why I think yeah. it might. I might not be excited about it. I know that the majority gotcha. of people don't have the TVs in and their Macs on in the same physical location, but I do. Gotcha. Do people actually watch TV during the day? This is a honest question. I have no idea. Yeah, of course they do. Otherwise, they wouldn't oh, yeah? be programming. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, we don't, but lots and lots and lots of people do. Mm-hmm. Let's take a break, and then we talk about a Steve Jobs movie that none of us have seen. This week's episode is brought to you by Warby Parker. Look, it's simple. Glasses should not cost as much as an iPhone, but far too often they do. And this is where Warby Parker can help you, glasses wearer. Warby Parker's prescription glasses start at $95, and they include prescription lenses in that price. And these aren't just ugly, cheap-looking designs at these prices either. Warby Parker believes that glasses should be viewed as a fashion accessory, just like a bag, a shoe, necktie, a hat, or even that lovely watch that you wear on your wrist. Warby Parker want you to look good in your glasses, and they do just that with their really great-looking designs. If you're going to wear something on your face all day, they should look good. Warby Parker also have a titanium collection that starts at $145, also including prescription lenses. They feature premium Japanese titanium and French non-rocking screws. I don't know what that means, but it sounds cool. Like, if I, I, I want all of my screws to be non-rocking. That, that just sounds like a good thing. But all of their glasses also include anti-reflective and anti-glare coating. There is no additional cost for any of that. And, and you'll also get yourself a lovely little hard case and cleaning cloth Two, there are no additional items that you're going to need to purchase. But the best part about all of Warby Parker is their home try-on experience. Now, Stephen, I know that you have done the Warby Parker home try-on in the past. Could you tell our listeners why you think it's awesome? Yeah, it's great. You know, we've all had the experience of, of uh, or glasses wearers have all had the experience of buying new glasses, right? And it's stressful because you're in the shop and there's someone kind of helping you, but not really very often you're alone, so you can't have your significant other uh weigh in with their advice and with doing the home try on you can you can wear them around the house for two hours and see what people think and uh, there's not that stress of i need to make a decision because i have a salesperson it's hey i have this in my home and it's up to me it's it's up to my schedule to find something that works and because you can wear them for a while you see you know we've all had like sunglasses or something you wear after a while and get uncomfortable after a period of time and the the home try on just solves all of those problems it really is Buying glasses in a shop uh, just sounds seems so crazy to me now. After trying the the home try on through the Warby Parker, it's really the way to go. So it's real simple. You just pick the glasses that you like. Warby Parker will send them out to you. You get to try them on for five days at home. You'll get feedback from your friends, family, and colleagues. Then once you're happy, you send them back. You place your order, and Warby Parker will get started on them right away and have your new glasses in your hands within ten business days so go to warbyparker.com slash connected to choose your five free home try on frames then send the frames back uh, with the favorite pair that you've chosen and order 
And by visiting that URL and ordering there, so that was warbyparker.com slash connected, you will get a you will get free three-day shipping on your final frame choice. Warby Parker makes your experience completely risk-free and with free shipping all around. You will also be contributing towards a charitable cause as well, as for every pair of glasses sold, Warby Parker distribute a pair to somebody in need. Thank you so much to Warby Parker for supporting this show. That's warbyparker.com slash connected. So the Steve Jobs movie is out. Now, this is the one of many, but this was the one that was meant to be the good one, I suppose, right? So this is the Aaron Sorkin movie with Michael Fassbender playing Steve Jobs. Um, however, it has bombed in, in, the, uh, in the cinema. So i give a quote from Variety. So Steve Jobs debuted to a measly $7.3 million in box office receipts, only a little more than the $6.7 million that Jobs, a critically derided film about the iPhone uh, with oh, Ashton Kutcher, made in its initial weekend. Going into the weekend, some tracking suggested that the picture would do as much as $19 million, so it was really kind of undersold. Um, Universal are going to continue strongly marketing the movie, uh, and they're going to keep putting money into it. So Jobs, uh, Steve Jobs cost uh, $30 million to make, um, and Variety estimate that it's going to cost that much as well uh, to market. So this is a potential big hole. That is, is it Universal? Is this a Universal movie? Yeah, it, so this is a pretty big hole that Universal found themselves in. And it seemed to be reviewed pretty well um, by... Uh, movie websites like there's 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 like potential oscar talk around this movie so why has this happened i say from the like general public perspective like just overhearing people there's sort of this idea of like another steve jobs movie like we just had one and that one is pretty well known for not being very good and so i think people may assume that this one wouldn't be any different I think there's sort of a a Steve Jobs overload in, in out in the world right now, and we can get to yeah. why nerds don't like it, but I can't help but think it's like a little too soon after the last one to, to really be seen in a different light. I think the failure of the the previous movie uh, has not done much to help to help this one. Can I can I just be that guy? I don't know the actor. Who's this person? Michael I Fassbender. Never... He is... He, yeah. Okay. You might not yeah. know him. The rest of the world knows him. He's in oh, yeah? all the X-Men movies. Is he, he as in... famous as DiCaprio? Maybe now. Like, I mean, if you look at some of the stuff that... Uh, well, Michael Fassbender is currently in more uh, blockbuster movies than DiCaprio is. Because Fassbender yeah, is working more. He doesn't sound as famous as DiCaprio. Well, or DiCaprio Bale. is historically famous. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a movie person, but I well, know then, DiCaprio. Then you're the wrong and I know... person to make this decision. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm not a movie person, but I know who DiCaprio is. I know who Christian Bale is. It's the guy who played Batman, right? And yeah. I never heard of this fast bender. Okay, well, he has been nominated for an Oscar. Okay, sure, you. sure. He was in just Prometheus. Saying, you in you movie movies. people get upset really easily. He's going to play the Assassin's Creed movie. Oh, there's going to be an Assassin's Creed movie. I bet that's going to be great. <laughs> well, I know it's. We all, all know it's going to suck. But this is just my kind of uh, showing to you that he is a very, very big Hollywood star. Okay. 
So just trust me on that one. So if I if I ask my, any friend of mine who Michael Fassbender is, they're going to say, yes, we know Michael Fassbender. I can't guarantee that all of your friends will know, but this mm. this is... Uh, Find the drunk guy in the park. Look on his... <laughs> okay, Federico, I'm going to put his IMDB into the chat room, right? So you can go okay. and check it, and I'll put it in the show notes, and you can see the massively okay, long see. list of movies this guy's been in in the last 10 years Michael and how many Fassbender. he has coming up. Let's just let's uh, just say he is a very big movie star. X Men, yeah, he does superhero stuff, which I don't yeah. follow. I know, but you also have to remember that superhero movies are the biggest movies now. Uh-huh. So you don't you don't know him because of, for whatever yeah, reason. Okay. But the issue is not the the act the the cost, right? Because like as well, like the the cost of this movie goes on to have uh, has is it Seth Rogen? Oh, yeah, yeah another so. guy. Kate yeah. Winslet and Jeff Daniels. Yeah. They're like the four main actors in this movie. So they got a big cast. It's like I look at this and think it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I hadn't really considered the Steve Jobs overload thing. But that makes sense. Like, But I was thinking about the social network and how well that did, right? Which was just a story about Facebook written by the same guy. And it is right. really interesting to me that for some reason this one just hasn't grabbed people. When Steve Jobs is a more interesting figure to the rest of the world, I think, than Mark Zuckerberg was at that time. Yeah, so I think that's where the strife in our community spills over. So if you are an Apple fan or Steve Jobs fan or whatever, uh, it's pretty well known. And again, none of us have seen it. It is on my calendar actually for tomorrow night, hopefully. But uh, from from listening to people and, and reading reviews and whatnot... Sorkin took a lot of liberties with this story, and uh, and that's fine. Like uh, I think, like we spoke about a couple weeks ago, if you're going to make a movie, you have artistic license to change things to make it a better movie. And generally, I like Aaron Sorkin's stuff, but it it seems like if you if you mess with the Steve Jobs story, there's a certain uh, section of the Apple community that's going to get upset about that, and. That spills over, right? Someone's going to like go search for a Steve Jobs movie review, and and they might come across someone who is really unhappy that Aaron Sorkin really took big liberties with his life and really changed things to make what he thought was a better screenplay. Uh, and so maybe there's some of that bleed of you know nerds aren't happy about it, and that has sort of seeped out into the general public. Um, I think that. Any Jobs movie or any Apple kind of subject movie at, from this point forward has to have the the blessing of the community to do well because yeah, there's a lot of us, right? And there's a lot of uh, people in this community who are unhappy with it, and that's going to get around. Like, I'm only going to go see it so I can do follow-up next week. Like, I'm not particularly interested in seeing it at this point, <laughs> and I'm going in knowing that it's, it, I'm probably going to be disappointed for a bunch of different reasons. And that that hurts it too. That word of mouth like gets around, and once it does, I would imagine it's really hard to counter that. No matter how many millions of dollars you can pour into marketing, um, I think it's a shame. I mean, I think Aaron Sorkin does good work, and I think that this could have been a really interesting movie if he had done gone about it differently. But I wonder that so much story tweaking just really set the wrong tone for everybody. It doesn't come out here until like the middle of November. Okay. Um, Should have been with DiCaprio, I think. So yeah, that was the thing, right? So DiCap- DiCaprio, I would have, I'm a big fan of, and would love to have seen him. But he seemed the reports are that he got bas- basically Laurent Powell Jobs called him and said, "Don't do it." 
and the, the same for um, oh, Christian Bale as well. But the mm-hmm. thing was, it, it seems like it doesn't matter who the actor was, the story was always gonna be the same. It, like it could have been, however it was acted, isn't the issue. Like most people's issues seems to be the way that it was structured and the story that was told. Because, like, I mean, there's a great episode of the Control Walt Delete podcast from The Verge, which is actually becoming one of my favorite shows. I actually really, really like this show. Um, and in it, Walt Mossberg basically expresses his extreme unhappiness about the way that the movie portrays jobs. And he tells some stories of his own um, to try and highlight why, why he thinks the, the movie is bad. And he doesn't like the fictionalized things to a point and, and feels like overall, and a lot of people said this, it doesn't paint a full picture of Steve Jobs. Um, like it, it stops at the iPod, right? So it misses out the best kind of all of Jobs' best work, right? Which came afterwards, like the iPhone, the iPad and, and everything else that came after it. And it, this makes me wonder, like looking at this movie, all the stuff that's come before it, the books that have come out, is there ever going to be a fair and balanced account of Steve Jobs' life? Like, is this ever going to happen? Is it too late now for us to get a scenario in which everyone is happy? I, I think it's not going to happen ever because we just don't have the, the resources or materials. I guess that in most cases, normal life doesn't make for a great movie. Well, know? I mean... Yeah, but mine and your lives, maybe. But so right. So have you seen the Social Network? Because that is a yes. a really great yes. movie. However, yeah, in like the same it. issue, uh, Zuckerberg says that a lot of it is falsified, like it's not true, or like is is fictionalized. So like this, it's kind of got me wondering though. Like, will there ever even be a book that? Because books can go into more detail, right? And it seems and like the the two books that have come out kind of the biggest books that come out, like the Isaacson book and the Schindler book, there still seems to be a lot of people that are unhappy with it. Like, the Schindler book seems to have gotten Apple's blessing, but still people seem to not be happy. Like, I'm just thinking at this point, there's never going to be an account of Steve Jobs' life which is going to make everyone happy well, because the man isn't alive anymore to do it himself. I I, I think that the, the second book you referenced, Becoming Steve Jobs, is between those two a much better book. But even it, like, there's this problem in telling the story, right? That the story is still ongoing from the Apple perspective. So the Isaacson book, this movie, even becoming Steve Jobs, they are weighted towards uh, Steve's first time at Apple, and then at next, and, and and then Pixar. Pixar X is a pretty big player in the becoming Steve Jobs book, and was my favorite sections of the book. But telling the story of Steve Jobs' return to Apple. Um, a lot of that is still locked up from a company perspective. A lot of people who can tell those stories aren't able to because they're still in them. And so I wouldn't say never, but I would say it's going to be a while. I mean, I do think there's an opportunity for 10, 15, 20 years down the road for a book that does interview uh, people who were there with jobs and who have been gone for a long time from Apple who, or as Apple has moved on, uh, those people are more willing to talk about things. But, you know, right now, like, I'm sure there's really interesting stories locked up in, in Jobs' second time at Apple that no one knows because the people who are part of those stories just can't talk about them. And maybe those people will never talk. Like I don't I don't know if someone like Phil Schiller's ever going to have a book written about his career, but I do think there's an opportunity for that, but not anytime soon. And so I, I'm hesitant to see any, any more about Jobs' life or history of Apple or any of that sort of content, any sort of that stuff. 
uh, until we sort of move past that era at Apple. And that that's happening now, but all those same people are there, you know. Uh, Cook and, and Apple's board have done a really good job at, at keeping the executive team basically the same uh, as under Jobs, and so all those same players are still involved. Uh, until that's not true, I, d- I don't see the opportunity for somebody to come out with something new that is really powerful in any new way. Federico, I want to ask you, hmm. do yes. you think we need this? Do we need we- uh, a story of Jobs' life, which is more full and has the stuff that we don't know? Well, it depends if you need a story or if you need to be entertained by a story. I guess that's what I try to ask myself. Do I want to know the truth or do I want to spend a couple of hours in front of a screen and be told the story that, you know, makes me feel good about my day or my evening? I think we need a sto- we need a story and we need more, uh, you know, people who actually do the work necessary to document a person's life. I'm not sure we need any more entertainment about Steve Jobs. That's what I think. And again, I'm not a particularly knowledgeable movie person. And But I, I, I have always been fascinated by, by Steve Jobs as a figure, as a businessman, as a, as a creative, you know? And I, I guess I'm not really interested in Steve Jobs as a family man because we we all have our own flaws and we we all right. make our own mistakes and i i don't really feel the need to be entertained by the story of of a man who who has not a good relationship with his daughter you know i i agree with you to a point there actually like ever all of the stuff about like the family stuff like it's interesting in painting the fuller picture of him but I don't know if that's something that needs to be exposed as much as it is. Like, all of that stuff, I don't know if it informs his work. But I think that if you want to get a, a... If you want an account on Steve Jobs, you have that account because he was responsible in some part for some of the most important things to happen in technology and therefore shaping the world. And I think a lot of that just comes from his decision-making and the way that he did the work that he did and the way that he approached that. And I don't know if stories about him not wanting to have anything to do with his first daughter really helps with that account. Yeah. Again, I, I would rather... If, if I wanted to hear about Steve Jobs' personal life, I would rather get that directly from the source, you know? From, from Lisa or from other people, not yeah. By, yeah. by a movie director. I think part of the problem that we're always going to have here is Jobs didn't want to share it in the first place, so I don't think there's, we're going to get a ton more than this. Because people that yeah. truly care about him, it's it's very likely that they will not share their stories. So it feels like what we have, like the Isaacson book, that's as much as you're going to get from a personal perspective. Yeah, that yeah. That's how I look at it now. It's like, obviously his family is never going to write a book about him. Like, Johnny Ive's never going to write a book about him because they all care about his privacy because they cared about the man. So it feels like at this point, what we have is, is what we're going to get, to me anyway. And I think I'm okay with it, you know? Yeah. Uh, I just feel... I, I watched the the Jobs movie with, with Ashton. Uh, I guess it was okay. Uh, if by okay you mean it's what you expect, you know, from this type of movie. Uh, 
I, I, I don't know. People are making a big deal here, maybe because Aaron Sorkin is, is a big name in the, in the industry, I guess. Uh, I would like to see more books and more, you know, documents and interviews, not, you know, stories like this. That's my, my two cents as a non-movie expert or person in general. Anything more to say on this? Uh, no, I think, uh, I think that pretty much covers it. I'm going to go see it and uh, maybe we can follow up if, any, if I have any interesting comments or when you guys see it. But uh, I expect mostly just to be sad. So we'll see how that goes. When does it come out on, on iTunes? It, um, I expect it will probably. I think it might be before the end of the year now because. Okay. Well, because if it's not going to do well in the cinema, then they'll release it quick. I don't go to the cinema. It's gross. Yeah, it is gross. Can you can you guys see a world where Apple just doesn't let it in iTunes? They're like, sorry, Universal or whoever. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting thought, right? They might say no. They could say no. Could they? Sure, they could. <laughs> if that happens, it will definitely make it to follow up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that really would be like a stamp of disapproval from Apple. Like mm-hmm. that's the biggest one I could think. That's really the the strongest weapon they have against it is just saying we're not going to sell it. Um, contrast that with the uh, guys who wrote Becoming Steve Jobs being interviewed by John Gruber in an Apple store. Like <laughs> you can't yeah. really get too farther apart in the way that Apple views something. A couple of executives tweeted about that book as well, didn't they? They did. Yeah. I think uh, yeah. Q and Schiller both actually. Yeah. Yeah, they're the only one on Twitter. They're big Twitter users. That that also shines a light in the opposite direction for me. It's like if it's so endorsed by Apple, like, is it fair? And I don't know. You know, like I feel like there's no there's no good ground there. Yeah. Anyway, this week's episode is also brought to you by Igloo, the internet you'll actually like. With Igloo, you do not have to be stuck at your desk to do your work. They have a great platform, which is all responsive, so you can use Igloo from any device that you own. It can be from your phone, from your tablet, from your Mac, from your PC. No matter if you can get a web, to a web browser, you can use Igloo. And if you, are a, if you are a person who uses an Igloo intranet, you will be able to share status updates, you'll be able to access files and documents, you'll be able to comment on documents, You'll be able to let your team know that you're leaving a client's site using their microblogging stuff so maybe they can prepare lunch or maybe make you a cup of coffee to congratulate you for the sale that you just made. It doesn't matter where you want to do your work. These days, everything is mobile. Your work should be too. And an intranet system that is chaining you to one PC or one building is not something that you want to be using anymore. Igloo also looks really good and you can customize it to look and feel and act the way that you want. It's completely configurable you can rebrand it you can put your logo on it you can change the fonts you can change the colors make it feel like it's part of your team and like it's part of your company and you can also with uh, role-based access permissions and group spaces you're able to give different teams different parts of the system so for example if one team needs a doc- the document previewing engine and another team doesn't or one team needs the uh, social stuff, so like the microblogging, you can enable it and disable it where needed. So it's all drag and drop with their fantastic widget editor, and it makes it really simple to configure Igloo to work just exactly how your company works. You can also integrate services like Box, Google Drive, and Dropbox into their platforms, so documents won't be scattered across different platforms and different people's devices and accounts. It keeps everything nice and secure. And with Igloo's own document preview engine, you can track who has read things with read receipts and everybody can comment on them all within 
Igloo. It's time to break away from the internet you hate. Go and sign up for Igloo right now, and you can try it for free for any team of up to 10 people for as long as you like. Go sign up at igloosoftware.com slash connected. Thank you so much to Igloo for their support of this show and Relay FM. So earlier, or this week, or late last week, our friend uh, Fraser Spears from the Out of School podcast got some time with an iPad Pro at, a, I guess, a private event in London. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I'm just going to assume it was Mike, just put Psy in parentheses in the uh, show notes. But um, No, it was mine. It was yours? <laughs> uh, was mine. Of you guys, you, know, you, you could be sad about that. So, uh, Really, some really interesting tidbits of information that he has shared uh, with with people about that. Um, Federico, you collected some of your favorites. You want to walk us through through these? Yeah. So, um, in in what the kids call a tweet storm these days, uh, Fraser tweeted a couple of interesting details about the iPad Pro. Uh, the first one that jumps to mind is uh, he tried the iPad Pro with the pencil, with the you know the stylus made by Apple, and he says, as many other people have said so far, uh, it's got the best palm rejection he's seen in iOS uh, to date. He, Fraser, you know, it's tried. He, he has tried many drawing apps and styluses over the years. He's one. He's probably the person who kind of uh, you know started the whole uh, iPad deployment in school. You know the one-to-one program for uh, pupils in in a in a in a, in a school in Scotland. So you know he's, he knows what he's talking about when it comes to iPad and drawing and uh, giving accessories to iPad users. So he says that the pencil feels great. Uh, the palm rejection really works as advertised. Uh, he got to try the stylus with um, paper by Fifty Three, uh, which has a couple of optimi- optimizations on the iPad Pro. Uh, he says that it takes advantage of the bigger screen. We don't know how because there's no screenshots. Uh, he also tried the pencil on a couple of Adobe apps and apparently it works really great. Uh, and uh, as many other people have said, you know, uh, Pixar, Disney, artists, it works well. So that sounds exciting. Uh, there's not going to be a smart case for the iPad Pro. There's going to be a pro size smart cover. There's going to be the smart keyboard. There's not There's not going to be, at least initially, a pro version of the smart case. To which I ask the question, does anyone even remember the iPad smart case? Because Some I, people I, do use them and like them. Like I, oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> oh. I mean, I think, I think the reason... Well, yeah, because Fraser put a little sadness emoji... I think he wants a smart case. Um, And I can see why for for him with what he uses and what he does with iPads, right? So like putting them in schools and stuff, having a case that goes all the way around with the smart cover functionality, I guess could be really good, right? Like if you Hmm. want to keep the device protected, that one maybe seems like the best option because you also get the benefit of the smart cover, right? But like I I would never use a smart case. Uh, Yeah. I worry less about about breaking my iPad by dropping it, even though in theory it's probably easier to drop because like the weight and the center of gravity and stuff. Like I'm also I'm all like almost convinced that like I will multiple occasions flip my iPad Pro over accidentally. Right. Like I'm holding it in the bottom corner and I hit something on the top and it just flips. Right, because I could just imagine the center of gravity being all kinds of crazy on a device that big, but we'll wait and see about that. Yeah, he said that the the weight distribution on the iPad Pro is not as bad as you'd imagine, given the bigger size. Okay. It doesn't feel as lightweight as an iPad Air 2, but, and it doesn't know if you're going to be able to like hold it with one hand, you know, in between your 
thumb and your index finger uh, for prolonged periods of time. Apple wants you to believe that you will be capable of doing that yeah. based on marketing images. I don't know what kind of hand training uh, these Apple uh, marketing people go through to shoot those photos, uh, but... He says it's mo- most likely you're gonna you're gonna be resting the iPad Pro on your arm when you use it. You know when you want to hold it upright in portrait mode, maybe you're just gonna rest it. You know on your arm so you can use it. We'll see. Um, the smart keyboard, he says, is more it's more similar to the Logitech uh, Keys to Go uh, uh, external keyboard, which means I think it's l- similar to a Surface keyboard. So it it's like there's no travel to the keys. You just press, and it's not like a physical keyboard that you guys like. Uh, there's no travel here. It's like it's like a, a single, very thin surface, and you just membrane, press the keys. like a membrane type thing. Yeah, yeah I know it's yeah. not that. I know because Apple are using those like does that new butterfly switch, but it I guess because of the covering over the top, it maybe even feels like it moves less. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes me sad to hear. Uh, I have yeah. all of this, and I don't know what I was expecting, but um, there are iPad keyboards out there that do have a clicky feel to them and do yeah. <laughs> feel like real keyboards. And this yeah. seems like it's not not that thing. Yeah, and and especially you know, I want to see how long it'll take companies like Logitech or maybe Belkin to make uh, keyboards with actual keys that connect with the with the smart connector on to the iPad Pro. I know that Logitech already has an announcement. I haven't seen any by other companies, uh, so you know, I, I'm curious to see how long it'll take uh, third party manufacturers to take advantage of that piece of hardware. Um, speaking of software. He says there's no, as we suspected, there's no change to the springboard. So the home screen of the iPad Pro is a bigger version of the uh, traditional iPad home screen. The only change is that, is that instead of six or seven apps that you see in the command tab switcher, you get eight on the iPad Pro. So I guess yay for bigger screen. Uh, there's no other change, really. The layout of the apps is the same. Uh, folders are the same. Control center, I'm interested in uh. seeing how it'll scale in landscape mode. Uh, we mentioned this a couple of episodes ago. We were talking about the iPad Pro. I think that there will have to be changes to the home screen there, uh, you know, to fully take advantage of the bigger screen. Uh, already the iPad home screen feels like a wasted opportunity compared you know, to the iPhone. Uh, I can imagine on the Pro, again, control center, I want to see what they do there because I haven't seen any screenshots or videos with that specific portion of iOS. Um, I think the thing that surprises me the most about this is like that you don't just do the obvious, which is just put more icons on the home screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or... Something. I mean, <laughs> something exactly. Yeah, like I know, I know I'd like to see more stuff done with it, but like you know, the obvious one is just you've got the space, put the icons on at least, yeah. rather than just making the gaps between them bigger. Yeah, I mean, compared to an iPad Mini, it being the same really is pretty ridiculous. I mean, the iPad Air two already that home screen feels like you said, better go wasted in a way. Um, I was really hoping they would do more with that, and you know, maybe it's that it's coming out with iOS, I guess, 9.2, so it is sort of mid-cycle for an iOS release, and they're not, you know, they're not going to drastically change it at this point, so I guess, fingers crossed for next year, which is, like, <laughs> everyone who follows Apple, like, their favorite saying, like, maybe next year they'll fix it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think 
maybe this is too early to start talking about this, but you'd you'd kind of expect, and I know Federico, you you were kind of going along these lines in your review that iOS ten should be another big change because it's ten. Yeah. Right. I like, know it's you know? maybe maybe silly just because it's ten, but historically. 10 has been an occasion for Apple to introduce changes, you know? Yeah. Like, if you're going to yeah. do something big anywhere... They replaced their entire for, operating yeah. system on the Mac. <laughs> yeah. yeah, twice, you know, because Mac OS 10, and then with Yosemite, they changed the whole interface. So, uh, you know, they they like the, the, the round number, number 10. Yeah, they like the round number. Um what else do we have here? So multitasking is going to be more comfortable on the iPad Pro because, as we also imagined, using two apps at the same time kind of feels like having two iPads in portrait mode at the same time. So it makes sense. Bigger iPad, bigger apps in multitasking, more comfortable to use because you can see more of both apps, not necessarily just one app. Uh, so I'm excited to see how it works there. Um, Federico, I have a quick question for you. Okay. Have you ever used two iPads at the same time? You know, actually, I have. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you. Actually, it's it's very very nice timing for this question, Mike, uh, because today Apple will announce their fiscal results. You know, there's a Q4 2015 earnings call, and I remember last year, when or maybe two years ago, I didn't have workflow on my iPad, you know, the app for iOS automation. And so I used Silva's, Silvia's iPad to update my, my, my WordPress article on one iPad and do the image conversion and upload on another iPad. That was before multitasking, before extensions, before workflow. So I actually pulled a, a Dave Morin and I used two iPads at the same time, you know? That is fantastic. Now, of course, with multitasking, it's just perfect because I can use uh, I can use Excel uh, with workflow uh, at the same time. So I can I can pull in my my charts, upload them, convert them with a, with the extension. It's just amazing, uh, and I will do that tonight. So can we talk about that a little bit next week? Because I'm interested about like why you use Excel and stuff, but uh, we don't have the time for it okay. this week. Okay, sure, sure. We'll I, talk about I, it. When you said that, I was like. Wonder why Excel. So I'm going to put that in for next week. <laughs> okay. Um, so I just want to conclude with uh, Fraser as a comment on what he expects uh, the my reaction to be uh, for the iPad Pro, and he says you're gonna flip for this device. That's his comment. Um, I kind of wanna wanna know from you too because. I I don't know what to think here anymore. I guess I, I'm I just I just cannot wait to try one, uh, and it's not that the iPad Air two does doesn't doesn't satisfy me anymore because I can get work done on a daily basis, and it's been to date the Air two my most used iOS device ever. But like the things that I've done on the iPad Air 2, I haven't done on any other iPhone or iPad before. So I'm super, super happy with the iPad Air 2. But I think with the Pro, I can do a lot more, especially for multitasking and, you know, this bigger kind of canvas idea. But I'm concerned about the, the 
the portability, you know, holding the iPad with my hands, which I also do a lot when I walk around the house or work from, I don't know, when I'm waiting in some, like at the doctor's office or I'm waiting in the car and I'm concerned there that, you know, it's just too big. Uh, I kind of want to want to know from you too if you've been thinking about the Pro and especially you, Mike, because you've kind of been doing stuff on the iPad lately. So what do you think? So whilst at release notes, people were talking to me about you and the iPad Pro. That, that was that was the thing, and I remain. I know that you don't think you're going to do this, but I still believe that you will be a two iPad man after the iPad Pro. I genuinely feel like you will have the iPad Pro at home and you will take a smaller iPad like a mini with you out into mm. the world for portability. I, because I, I understand um, in what Fraser is saying, just looking at that where he says you're going to flip, you, you're going to go crazy for this thing because you've been so far out of the mindset of like a home computer and a travel computer for so long now because your main computer has been fine for traveling with. But the iPad Pro is potentially going to be a little bit too big for you to take to the beach. But you're still going to want to do work at the beach, and you're also going to love the iPad Pro. Oh, God, so I, I continue to put money down, and this will be the greatest, Mike was right, if after a couple of months you end up with like a mini or something. The, the closer we get to this, the more excited I get about the idea of it. Because I tell you what, I love my iPad so much now. Like, so much. Multitasking has made it so amazing. I love it. I really, really love it, and I and Chrome now has uh, multitasking. Yeah. Even though their implementation, I wish they did slightly differently. I don't like that tab stay on the top; it takes up too much of the real estate. But I know why they're doing it. They're kind of stuck, but it's fine. Give me Google Docs, man. All I want is Google Docs. You should give me Google Docs, and it's game over. I'll be able to do so much work on that iPad. Like all of my show prep, I can just see me doing it on the iPad because I'll be able to do it from wherever I want and then to be sitting in front of my computer all the time. Because I sit in front of my computer for so many hours of the day, right, recording and editing. It's nice to be able to do that stuff away. And I can use my laptop, but then if I'm using my laptop, I kind of feel like I should just be on the iMac. Right, so, but so I like doing that kind of stuff on iOS. I like Tweetbot and Slack side by side. I love all of that stuff. So the idea of being able to use these apps in basically full-size mode, that really excites me, I have to say. So I'm I'm very, very intrigued for this device. Mm. I don't know, Mike. And Stephen, whilst we are at release notes, I heard you mutter at least once or twice that you were becoming excited about it. Yeah, I think like, like you guys, uh, iOS 9 has changed the game, and I, I can do more on my iPad, but... One of the reasons I I still don't is that uh, the split screen is still is still pretty snug depending on what you're doing and you're still kind of doing some juggling in and out of at least I am multitasking modes and so yeah I, I think that it would be interesting to see and I am interested in the pencil even though I'm not an artist by any means but I'm interested to see how they how they do it so I think I'm where you were a couple of weeks ago Mike that I'm definitely willing to pick one up to try it out and the question will be. Is something that I keep and incorporate um, in my life. You know, the, most most of the time, no matter how good my intentions are, my iPad Air two is still more consumption. And I wonder if the screen size and the power will be what tip that in the other direction for me. Uh, so I'm interested in trying it. I just don't know if it'll be something that sticks around. If that makes sense. Any more uh, interesting tidbits from Federico that you found that you like? 
Uh, I, I was reading through his tweets again uh, last night. Another one was uh, it, of course. I mean, it has a work feel to it, uh, the iPad Pro, and I guess it, like it, uh, of course, it makes sense because it's you know it's a bigger iPad, you know, with a keyboard and it's it's uh, basically a MacBook. And he's, he also says you're going to use this more at a desk instead of holding the iPad and, you know, walking around, which, which is what concerns me and what leads you to think that I will end up with two iPads. Um, I don't, I really don't know what to think anymore. It's one of those things, okay, just let me use one and then I will decide. Uh, because in theory, awesome. I can use two apps at the same time. They're bigger. They're more powerful, the speakers, you know, they're louder. I can listen to music better on the iPad Pro. And I'm no, I'm no artist, you know, so I don't know if I will buy a pencil because I, every time I try to buy iPad Siley, um, it just, <laughs> just, I feel bad, you know, like I can barely draw my name and, you know, I just, I just suck at drawings. Um, I will probably buy the smart keyboard because I want to try it, but I don't know if it'll be for me. I just want to get the device and the model that I'm considering is, of course, the, the top of the line, uh, 120, 28 gigs, uh, Wi-Fi and cellular because, I mean, I need my, my 4G LTE and it's it, it'll probably cost a thousand euros and maybe more uh we don't know when it's coming they said november but we don't know anything else at this point uh i guess we'll we'll just keep waiting and we'll see um it's bigger it's i guess it's better uh in terms of software and power you know seeing more at the same time that that that's the kind of stuff that intrigues me portability and you know the weight and holding the ipad which is a, an essential aspect for me i don't know how it'll work out i really don't want to be the guy with two ipads mike uh you're gonna be that guy i'm telling you, you no you gotta you gotta talk to sylvia for me about that because i, I cannot have this discussion uh with her you know two ipads she'll she'll just ban me from from our household. So now now your plan is you're listening to it, you're thinking it sounds like a good idea, so you want me to convince your girlfriend. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying if it's the only possible solution to keep me happy, you will have to talk to her for me. Okay. Okay? I can do that. I'll tell her it's all okay. about the moneta, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> try that, Mike. That's a good idea. I'll try that. Do you have anything else you wanted to mention? I hope it's not the end of november but maybe mid-november uh because the weight is killing me um hmm. that's what you'll be saying after you get one as well mike 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 fired yes thank you steven <laughs> let's wrap up that's the end of this week's episode everyone if you want to find our show notes you can go and head over to relay.fm slash connected slash 63 i was really proud of that joke by the way if you want to find all of us online uh, there's a couple of places you can do that oh we should mention steven has a nexus he just got a uh, a new nexus what one did you get the 5x the 5x so we're going to talk about it a little bit next week. Um, if you have any questions about that, you should send them over the hashtag uh, ISMHNexus, which Stephen has chosen. Uh, we can tweet about that as well, because I don't, now that I started the wrap-up of the show, I don't know how many people continue listening. So I guess we'll find out, right, if they continue to tweet. If you do listen to the end of the show, like if you're listening to me right now, just tweet at Stephen anyway and tell him. He, like, he really likes to hear from you all. 
And if you want to do that, you can tweet at ISMH, to, and you'll, you'll get the lovely Mr. Stephen Hackett. If you'd like to find Federico, he's at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I, and I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Stephen also writes over at 512pixels.net and co-hosts Liftoff on Relay FM. Federico writes at maxstories.net and co-hosts Virtual with me. On Relay FM, I host many other shows. You can find uh, this show, all those shows, and all the great shows at Relay.fm. Thanks so much to our sponsors this week, the good people over at Braintree, Igloo, and Warby Parker. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios. <laughs>